This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. There is an old saying, to do nothing is to do something. And so I prefer to do something. This week, my guest is a woman with a resume so extensive and a laundry list of awards that we could call her doctor at least seven times over. Dr. Jean Augustine was the first Black Canadian woman to be elected to serve as a member of Parliament in Canada's House of Commons. We discuss her purpose work as a life of service, activism, and advocacy, as well as her many achievements. And I must highlight that in her role as an MP, Dr. Augustine was responsible for introducing legislation that would be unanimously voted on to recognize Black History Month in Canada. She is the epitome of a Black woman who keeps the doors open for others to come behind her. Here's our conversation. Well, Dr. Jean Augustine, welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. I am excited to meet you. I've heard so much about you and that wonderful podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm pleased to join so many people who have been uh, on your show. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for everyone to hear sort of about all that you've done and are doing. So the first question I'll ask you is sort of about how our resumes are not a full explanation of who we are as a person. And I've looked at your resume and we should call you doctor like at least seven times I've seen from your resume. But what would you say is missing from it that you think people should know about you? Well, I think, you know, a resume just runs down everything you've done and the awards you've received and where you've been. But I think it's important for people to know that I'm a small island girl. I come from the island of Grenada, that I grew up in a kind of community setting, that uh, a lot of the things that I have done, are doing and continue to do um, stem from the lessons that I learned way back in Happy Hill, St. George's, Grenada. Oh, I like that. Back to the motherland. That's right. And, and you know, mentioning the work that you're doing, what, what do you see as your purpose work? Well, I think, um, and if I were to, to talk about what I have been doing and what my life's work have been, mm. I would say it's uh, a life of service, a life of activism, and a life of advocacy. And a life committed to making life better, not only for myself, my community, but also for Canada and the world. So a lot of my attention and a lot of the things I've done have been around the issue of social justice. How can we make it fair? How can we make things just? How can we... Uh, be a diverse Canada. We just celebrated 50 years since Canada stepped out as a multicultural society. Actually, Canada was the first country in the world to say we are multicultural, we are multiracial, we are multiethnic, mm-hmm. we are multireligious. And therefore, all of our policies, procedures, and all the things that we do in the society will respond to this mosaic of cultures and races and people. And so my, I, I, I am committed to ensuring that we hold on to this just and fair and diverse society and to do that all we possibly can to ensure that we make it good for now, 
that we save the coming generation from going through uh, the heartaches and the and the stumbles and the whatnot of the past, right. and uh, to leave a track in such a way that that uh, almost like the baton is passed to younger people uh, like yourselves and others to say, look, let's move forward, let's move on. Of course, we have to know uh, our history. We have to know the wrongs, the past wrongs in Canadian society. When I say past wrongs, I'm talking about discrimination and racism and, you know, and all the things that we had to cope with. And at the same time, we have to make sure that um, that we we lay this pipeline, this 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 route towards this just society, this fair society, this multicultural society in which we live. And okay, so you mentioned the you know celebrating fifteen years of being a multicultural nation, and I know that you were responsible for the motion that created Black History Month in Canada. What what's what was that effort like? Was it difficult? You know, I'm I'm. I I don't know why to me it's so odd that that would be happening in our lifetime that we would have to have that effort happen it should have been you know something that had already happened but I I get that we are mm-hmm. a little further behind than I assume that we are sometimes well I think it's important uh to remember that African Canadians have been in Canada since 1603 the, um, there was an expedition, and on that expedition, there was one black man on that expedition who set foot, who was a translator, who was a navigator, etc., and who knew the Mi'kmaq language and who made it easy or easier for the, these white Europeans to land in Canada. So we know that we've been here since 1603. Right. We know that uh, we were enslaved. Uh, on Canadian soil in 1603. We know the struggle of uh, the United Empire loyalists who brought their enslaved people with them. We know that Black people were engaged in the settlement, in the building, and have been making contributions to Canada since 1603. At the same time, I I was an educator. Um, I was a classroom teacher, vice principal, principal, supervisory officer. And all the modules that I was teaching as a social studies teacher had nothing about the Black presence in this, what we call the mosaic of Canada. It didn't teach about Indigenous people, and it did not teach the history of African Canadians. And for a number of times, we know that uh, with Carter Woodson, that in the United States, you had started um, Black History Month, and we were copying things that were happening during that month. At the same time, we needed to see Canadian figures, because we had our own Rosa Parks. We have our own, uh, you know, any field of endeavor that you can think about. We've had African Canadians, Black Canadians, who have excelled, who who could be the mentors and the role models and the historical figures. And so we did not have to look to the South all of the time to uh, to get those influences. And so when you think that we were here since 1603, and it was not until 
1993 that I was elected the first black woman, the first African Canadian woman. So you're talking about, you know, it's it's uh, the past and it, it's not all that long ago, 1993, first black woman to be elected. And so once I got to the House of Commons, everything else that I did was the first whatever. I sat in the speaker's chair. It was the first black woman, you know, to hold that role. I was uh, secretary of state. I was minister, was the first black woman, the first whatever. So again, it shows how new the, the, the African Canadian presence. We were here. We were contributing, we were part of, but we did not have our history highlighted. And so in 1993, when the opportunity presented itself as a member of the Canadian Parliament, I put forward the motion. And it was not an easy time to put forward a motion, 1993, 93, 94, 95. We were talking about trade issues, softwood lumber, ice cream and yogurt <laughs> and boneless beef and whatnot. And, uh, and we had a house that was very much focused on debt and deficit. And so here is Augustine coming up, talking about social issues, about the presence of Black people. Uh, I got the votes and I got unanimous consent, but it was an uphill. You know what that like? You put it yeah. and you put it again and you try to convince some people and you try not to let the agent provocateur throw you off. But, you know, with questions like, so you want February, who is going to want March? Oh, so you want Black History Month? <laughs> why, why, do, why don't we have White History Month? You know <laughs> uh. And so, but in any case, um, you know, and, and in those, remember 1994, we did not have social media like you have right now. Right. Um, and so it was a matter of, you know, killing a lot of trees, writing the motion and ensuring that all 300 and something members knew exactly what I was doing and that I was asking for their support. But we did an, um, announce in 1995, the motion was passed. And since then, we've been celebrating Black History Month in Canada. Well, thank goodness, because I spoke to, to I can't remember who it was, but I spoke to a Canadian woman. And I remember her saying, yeah, our history books told us all about, you know, Black Americans. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but I'm a Black Canadian, like surely my people have some, you know, yes. something that could be going in these books as well. Yep. Well, we still find that Black History Month, I'm invited to speak all over, you know, corporate Canada, mm -hmm. uh, in churches, in, in schools, and, you know, in, in, in every forum that you can think about. At the same time, sometimes I walk into a room and uh, the room has all these pictures around and they have Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, uh, and on and on. And I would say, Folks, this is Black History Month in Canada. <laughs> oh, goodness. We had, uh, you know, we had someone even before Rosa Parks. Uh, we now have her on our $10, on our $10 bill. Um, we have had, you know, the Oscar Peterson. We've had, you know, so many names. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not that I am diminishing anyone. No, not at all. The American uh, thing. But I think that it's important for our young sons and daughters growing up in Canada know that history. 
can find the role models, can find the mentoring. And this is why I do a whole series of things like scholarships and awards. And uh, I focus on a chair, a research chair in education at York University to tell our story, to do the research, to do the desegregated data, to show us who we are in Canadian society and also to make our presence. I'm so very pleased right now. We just came through a federal election and we had any number of African Canadians who put their names forward. When I was put my name forward, I was the only one, <laughs> right? And so I am out there encouraging through something, so an organization we call Operation Black Vote Canada, encouraging yeah. Blacks not only to put their names forward, to put themselves forward, but how they could be supportive of other African Canadians who are getting into the arena. I just spoke to um, a group of young women who are going to be running in the municipal, uh, in municipal politics. And it's very, it's great for that because it's closer to home. It's closer, the issues are closer to, um, to community. And so I, you know, my razor that's these days is to make sure that we have the critical mass of young people, critical mass of black people, of um, African Canadians who would put themselves forward to be in every aspect, in every place in Canadian society, in the boardrooms of the nation, as managers, as directors, as ministers of the crown, etc. Because we have the people, we have the skills, we have the talent, we have the ability. Absolutely. And so we have to find those allies in those places who would work with us to ensure that we are prepared that uh, to take our, our place in, the, in uh, Canadian society. And I, you know, hearing what you said, I want to return to you being the first African-Canadian female MP. Did you want to be an MP when you were younger? You know, what sort of led to, to you putting your name forward and becoming an MP? Well, no, I, that was not in my in my path. <laughs> you know, you, you say, you know, three years from now, five years from now, 10 yeah. years from now, when I become an old lady, I would. No, I did not have that in my resume. I did not have that in my path. As I said, my path was service and advocacy. Do what you can to help the community. Get engaged and involved with community efforts. Because when I first came here around the, 1960, the early 1960s, we had no Charter of Rights and Freedom. We had no Landlord and Tenant Act. We did not have black faces reading the news. The, the, the whole situation was completely different. And so I became an advocate with others, pushing for those places where we ought to be in the society, especially in the education system, where a lot of our young people at the time were being channeled into courses that were not leading uh, into professional um, in avenues. Right. And organizing and helping to organize parents to understand the system and to get engaged in the system. And we still have that as a struggle, you know, just getting parents to get engaged, go to the school, talk to the teachers, um, provide information, etc. And so, again, that advocacy, I started, uh, thing. I was a classroom teacher. I saw what was happening around me. I was a very good teacher. Um, at the same time, I watched others, especially men, being called in for vice principal and principal's position. Um, I saw what was happening 
uh, in the system in terms of our inability to make progress up the ladder. And as I became engaged and I became involved in uh, on boards and and in different things in the society, what I recognized very soon, especially when I was head of the uh, all of the the public housing. Uh, portfolios in the city of Toronto. It was called at the time uh, Metro Toronto Housing Authority. And I realized that changes could not be made in people's lives unless they were legislated, that there were lots of things that should and could happen, but they needed the legislation. They needed binding um, uh, regulations to make certain things happen. And that was when it started clicking around that the political arena was an important one for us as community. And uh, that we were discounted because we were not voting in the numbers that we should. We were not um, funding or putting or being donors to campaigns and all of that stuff. So our community was more or less, you know, neglected at that yeah. point in time. So it was a matter of pushing. So when I was asked, and I was asked by all the political parties to run, um, I said, no, no. And I said, no, no, and then no, for, sim- for the simple reason that um, politicians were not well thought of. They were corrupt. They were, um, you know, all the names that you can think about, dishonest, they were whatever. And I, I felt that that was not me, and I didn't want to be engaged in uh, in this. I felt I was... a uh, behind the scene kind of person, mm-hmm. advisor, I can write, I can strategize, I can organize, but I didn't see myself on the front line. And when I did say yes, then when I looked around, it was just me <laughs> <laughs> right across this country. <laughs> oh but God. anyway, I won and I won but with big numbers um, against the, you know, the, the, the candidate behind me. And, um, and got to Ottawa. So it was one of those things that happened as a result of my activism, my involvement, my engagement, and then answering the question when it when I was really pushed, um, you know, someone said, well, if you don't want to run, how can you go out there asking other people to mm-hmm. run? If with your qualification and your engagement and your ability to bring people together, you are saying no, then tell us who. Yeah. And I thought about that. And this, so it was not kind of a path <laughs> that I had set out for myself, but it was a path that I embraced once I got there and recognized the responsibility and recognized the importance. But you know, the, um, it's important to say uh, that every single Black person in Canada from coast to coast to coast, felt that they had sent me to Ottawa to represent them. (laughs) I bet they did. You know, I spoke to um, David Lammy, an MP in the UK, about, you know, what, what it's like to be the first in all these situations. And we talked about how uh, a lot of the times we don't think about how lonely it is because we're always thinking about like, oh, you're the first, you're amazing. But I'm always wondering like, is, you know, what is that experience like? Like it can be lonely to be the only one and the first one to have done something. Yes, it is. It is a lonely spot because you turn around 
uh, these days we talk about allies, right? right. We use the word allies. Who are the allies? And so I had to quickly, we didn't use the word allies at the time, but I looked around to see who was my friend, who was my supporter, who would, when I get up and say something, would second. When mm -hmm. I bring up issues about Black community and Black communities in Canada, who can I look around the table uh, who would support what it is that I'm saying? And oftentimes there is silence because people seem not to know at, the, at that time how to respond. At the same time, I, 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 it was clear to everybody that I was a black woman. I never left that behind. Right. I was a black woman with concerns about the situation of black Canadians and black people in general. And so as Minister and Secretary of State, I had some great opportunities to travel throughout Africa, throughout the Caribbean, throughout Europe on behalf of the government of Canada mm -hmm. and to participate in a very open and very transparent and very supportive by the, supported by the government to do different things. And so I'm happy that I had that opportunity and we were able to, to break several barriers yeah. and to put on the table. I was the first woman, I was the first Canadian woman, I was the first black woman to chair an OECD conference in Paris. Wow. And I can go on and talk about so many of those things that I had the opportunity. And notice how I delineate because I talk about intersectionality all of the time. You know, I, oftentimes I was at the intersection of being a black Canadian, a black Canadian woman, a black Canadian, uh, you know, an immigrant woman, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And uh, you can't leave that behind. No, all of those identities are always with you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, and I appreciate that because I think people don't always think about that. You know, they'll ask you a question and you're like, well, if I'm answering this as just a woman, this it changes because the way this affects white women is very different to yeah, how it affects exactly. me. So how would you like me to answer the question? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And this is exactly what I always put on the table. You know, we've made advances, really great advances in this country mm -hmm. for women. But if you are to break it down, you'd see for white women. And in so many, in so many instances, women of color, black women, um, women of all, you know, gender identify. We have to always come behind and say, how about us? How about yeah. us? You know? Yeah. Instead of the like, if we included everyone, then we'd all yeah. be doing really well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, speaking of, of women, I know that you have the Jean Augustine Center for Young Women's Empowerment that mm -hmm. started in 2014. And I wonder if you could sort of tell us about the mission of it. Well, it, it was my interest. It has always been my interest in young women uh, to ensure that they reach their full potential, that they're mm -hmm. given every opportunity that they, could, they that that is available within the society for them. And so, when I was running as a member of parliament, I and, and as an educator, I saw the situation of young women. Um, who are especially those who are marginalized, those who come from, you know, socioeconomic difficult uh, uh, situating families, et cetera, et cetera. And I knew that, and I can see the spirit in them. I can see myself when I was growing up in Happy Hill and so many of those young women. And I know given an opportunity, 
that they can reach their full potential. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at things, you know, the UN saying, we're working towards gender parity by the year 2026. And you keep saying, why are we waiting? Where where are we preparing and how are we preparing those women to reach their full potential? And so the notion of let's deal with, let's help, let's empower, let's provide opportunities, let's have them hear about careers, let's give them some soft skills, let's look at STEM and STEAM programs that can help them to be comfortable with mathematics and what. And let's do it in an environment that is safe, and an environment that is empowering and an, an environment where they're not competing, you know, for marks or for whatever else. And so we started, uh, you know, I started the center uh, with uh, some help and some funding. And um, we started with the young women aged 7 to 17. Wow. Because I started the first few years before that, I had the teenagers and I jokingly say, you know, I just wasn't prepared for the teenagers. <laughs> you have to have counseling service. They need money. They need all that stuff. And oftentimes you think you're empowering them and then you give this lovely talk and then they say, good night, Mrs. Augustine. And you watch or look outside the door and you see <laughs> a boyfriend waiting for them. <laughs> so I felt that that was not empowering. And... Um, and so we went to age seven. And when you start very early with young girls and you start very early, you see them coming in with the head down. You see them coming in unsure of themselves. You see them coming in, um, you know, not too sure as to what the future holds for them. And then a year later, you see them and you see the development, so you realize that what you're doing is something that would help, would, is helping to empower them, something that is helping them to move as girls, to understand their role in the society, and to understand that there is nothing that they cannot do. And so this issue of traditional and non-traditional jobs or places, etc., we we say to the girls, there's nothing you cannot do. Right. And, you know, saying to the girls, there's nothing you cannot do. When I first, you know, we first jumped on and I, we weren't recording, I asked how you were, and we were both very honest about, you know, these are still difficult times. And so I wonder where you get sort of the courage and the determination to do all that you are doing and, and what sort of keeps you going in difficult moments. Well, what keeps me going is really the hope that we can make a difference Mm-hmm. And um, there is an old saying, to do nothing is to do something. Yeah. And so I prefer to do something. <laughs> um, and there is also the old story of the beach, all these things being watch, washed up on the beach. And then uh, this man is walking along and he picks up one and he throws it back in the, um, in the water. And someone says to him, hey, look how many are on the beach. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? You can't clean up. And he says... But this one that I've picked up, this one that I've thrown back in the water, at least I saved one. And so the general idea is let's see what we can do to ensure that these young women find mentors, know about the world of careers, know about the world of work, know about partnerships, and and, uh, know about 
business and entrepreneurial activities and know the importance of community and know how to ask the question around what can I do. And so I feel really empowered as I see the young girls year after year blossoming into really interesting um, young people who seem to know what the future holds, also know their history, uh, are reminded of their history, and are reminded of um, the fact that they too can pass the baton, once they've caught it, pass the baton to others who are on their way. So I'm always very positive about the things that can happen. And also in my own uh, life, I do the same thing. Just not focus on the negativity, not mm-hmm. focus on, on those who, who would be, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and focus on people who are doing things and want to do things. Yeah, you know, I just turned eighty-four. And Ooh, well, happy birthday! <laughs> and so it's a matter of of saying, what can I do, and how can I do it? What can I help, and who can I help? And uh, ensuring that I do the mentoring, and ensuring that I also role model uh, some of the things that I expect of young people. Well, I imagine that you you are role modeling it amazingly and that you're, you know, an inspiration to many of them. And who would you say are the people that have inspired you? Well, I, I again, I'm doing this Sankofa thing that is looking back. <laughs> and that is, you know, I grew up with a grandmother, an old lady who was, I mean, she was not schooled. She didn't have university degrees like I have. She did not, um, I don't think she went past what in Grenada would have been called standard two, but she was a woman who was schooled in the school of hard knocks. Mm. She had sense. She had, um, she knew the importance of education, believed in education and made sure that everybody, every young person around her was always given the um, stay in school what do you need for school? How can I help you for school? And who taught, who said, way before your Obama did, yes, you can, girl. <laughs> yes, you can. I love that. I love that. And what is your greatest fear for humanity? Ah, my greatest fear is the fact that we are at a point right now where we don't show love for each other and understanding mm-hmm. of each other. And so that's my greatest fear, yeah. that we are missing the, the humanity that we need to see in each other, and that we go after those things that are not the important things in mm-hmm. life. And I think if anything uh, taught us, any, if we taught anything, the pandemic the fact that we had to isolate yeah. the situation that came up as a result of uh, George uh, Floyd and the Black Lives Matter, the essential workers that we had to stare at because we were able to stay home because of those essential workers. And who were those essential workers? The caregivers, those who worked in factories, those who did the packing, those who brought things to our doors. 
And we see who those people are. And hopefully, we would have learned something. We would have learned something from that mm -hmm. and that we would be more compassionate and we would be more respectful, more diverse, and more inclusive. Because around here in Canada, all we're talking about now is diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and looking at our corporate bodies and looking at government structures and looking at ourselves to ensure that as we look around the room, we see everybody included and that as we plan, whatever we're planning, programs, et cetera, et cetera, that we do this with diversity as, uh, as our mark. You know, speaking of what you said of the essential workers, when, when this was all happening, my mom said something that I think is still a bit true to be sadly, but she said, you know, we have all these essential workers, but we haven't figured out how to treat them as essential humans. Exactly. And, and I, it's, yeah, I don't know if we're there yet, but mm -hmm. you, in your answer, you sort of answered this, but I do want to ask you, what is your greatest hope for humanity? My greatest hope is that we would take all the science and all the things that show us. We are now in this talking about climate mm -hmm. and the influence of climate and what will happen to small nations and, and, uh, and countries with wide coastlines, etc. When we see forest fires and all these fires we see burning, when we see uh, floods and all these which are signaling to us, melting of glaciers, uh, et cetera, we realize, we realize that it is important for us to focus on those things that affect the planet and therefore not only will affect our lives, but affect the lives of everybody on the planet. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was so lovely to speak with you. Well, thank you so much and all the very best to you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. And don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Hold up. 